What was unusual about the last great Spanish explorer in North America? How many, if any, brains does an octopus have? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this sixth week of Coronavirus Trivia from Bob and Marcia <laughs> Smith <laughs> on the off-ramp. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. That is definitely what we need during these uh, shut-in weeks here during the coronavirus emergency. Well, we've gone through six weeks of being together every waking hour. <laughs> Seems like only 10. What, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> and we're here again today with some trivia. What do you got there? Well, you were probably just asking yourself this question this morning, Bob. Okay. How many, if any, brains does an octopus have? I would say, by the nature of that question, an octopus has multiple brains. Oh. It has like eight brains, one for each tentacle. Yeah. Tentacles, yes. Well, that's a good guess. Wrong, but it is a <laughs> good guess. You're on the right track because each of his tentacles has a brain, a small brain, and then there's one main brain in the middle of his body or hers, It's uh, and that controls the nervous system. So there are nine brains. Wow. And they are considered to be one of the most intelligent invertebrates. They've really got a lot going on for them. I, they're considered, <laughs> who do you think has the biggest brain? Who has the biggest brain? Yes, and don't say... Yourself. <laughs> I didn't. I wouldn't say myself. <laughs> like an elephant has a big brain, or well, a whale. A whale probably has a huge brain. That's right. The sperm whale, to be specific. Wow. Check this. Fifteen and a half pounds. And that's as big as it gets, you, as a brain gets. Well, how big do you think yours well, is? Well, no, I'm not no, talking I'm, about mine. I know, but how do you think? How, what do you think? I bet humans, it's only two and a half, two pounds, two and a half pounds. Geez, did you see my notes here? Yes, that is right. Really? Two, yeah, two and a half pounds. No, I had no idea. Well, and the last question related to brains, because obviously I got on a tangent, <laughs> googling away. But uh, according to scientists. Who's one of the dumbest creatures that ever roamed the earth? I can think of some politicians, but uh, <laughs> the dumbest creature to ever roam the earth. Dinosaurs. One in particular? <laughs> the What's that huge one that... Uh... Tyrannus Rex? Yes. No. Oh. The Stegosaurus. The dinosaur weighed 13,000 pounds and had a brain that weighed less than three ounces. <laughs> 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 Not a real bright. Wow, that's bulb. like a that sounds like a real accident of evolution, yeah. doesn't hey, it? Hey, so next time I want to insult you. Hey, what are you, Stegosaurus? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are things I didn't know about yes, uh, animals. Brain. That's yeah. fascinating. Oh, brain. Can I just go back to the octopus uh, for a second? <laughs> are you rolling your eyes at me? <laughs> well, no, but I usually we trade back and forth I know, with the questions. But, but oh. as long as I'm on, I just this is factoids for the octopus who has nine brains to reiterate. But they, how many hearts do you think it has? Oh, well, I never thought of that. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Is there a heart for each tentacle? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll ta say one heart. Uh, it's just three. Just three. <laughs> and and, uh, and the last interesting fact about octopuses, their blood is blue. Oh. I don't know why. 
Wow. I didn't, okay. Didn't, uh, look into that further. Fascinating facts <laughs> about creatures of the past and, and present. Very interesting. Okay, here's one for you. This is historic, and I got on a tangent too, so I've got some interesting facts here. Okay. What was unusual about the last great Spanish explorer in North America? Now, we think of Pizarro and all these famous ones that went through Mexico and everything else and and Central America. What was unusual about the last great Spanish explorer in North America? What was unusual about him? Yeah, there's actually two unusual things about him. Well, that's pretty broad. Can well, you narrow it down? Uh, what he ate? Uh, how many wives he had? Did he marry an Indian woman? Uh, no. Let me go back to Google and see if I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's what I found. Okay. First off, he wasn't Spanish. He, well, then why did you say he was Spanish? Uh, he was a Spanish explorer, but he was actually Welsh. He was okay. a nationalized Spaniard who was hired by Spain to try to disrupt the relationship between Britain and uh, Native Americans. And... Uh, His name was Juan Evans, but his name was actually John Evans. And he was a Welsh separatist back in England. So he was trying to give Welsh independence from the British crown. So that's why he joined Spain. But that's not unusual. Columbus was an Italian who sailed for Spain. But that's the first great unusual thing about the last great explorer in North America. He wasn't Spanish. Second, where did he plant the Spanish flag? Uh... Here's the answer. North Dakota. (laughs) North Dakota. Yeah, the last great Spanish explorer planted the Spanish flag at a Mandan Indian settlement in North Dakota in September 1796. Why there? And this is like your research. It just kept going and going. Uh Well, Evans believed a myth. There was a myth that a legendary Welsh hero, Prince Madoc, who was the son of the greatest Welsh king, came to America in 1170. 300 years before Columbus, and set up a colony whose members intermarried with the Indians. And for centuries, there were rumors of Welsh-speaking Indians in North America. You'll find references to them landing in Mobile, Alabama, and cities and towns across America, and going all the way up to Canada. But Evans thought that the Mandan tribe in North Dakota, along the Missouri River, were descendants of Prince Maddox's legendary colony. That's what took him there. But within three weeks, he lost faith in the myth and abandoned the settlement. (laughs) Now, this is interesting because this is the way the Spanish, you know, all of their exploration was. There were all these romantic notions that they went after like crazy. The seven cities of gold, the fountain of youth, the terrestrial paradise. All that began in 1492 with Columbus. And when did the Spanish finally leave the Americas? Did they ever? Yeah. They finally left. They left after everyone else. Everybody else came in the meantime. The French came. The British came. They were all driven out. The Spanish were here first. They were here last 400 years. They finally left the hemisphere in 1898. But they're back again. No, no, they're not back again. Well, sure. We have Spanish rice. We have all sorts of different interesting things. Okay. All right. What you got? All right. For the first six or seven months of its life, how much does a blue whale calf gain a day in pounds? Okay, daily weight gain of the baby. Of the baby for the first six months. Wow. Okay. And All right. Let's say the first, the weight gain is 50 pounds. A what? A every day? day, yeah. Every day? Yeah. 50? Yeah. Jeez. No, it's 200 to 225 pounds <laughs> a day. Holy cow. And uh, during 
this is more terrifying. The during lactation, a mom whale produces 50 gallons of milk a day. Oh my god. <laughs> Have you ever seen 50 gallons of milk? No, I haven't. <laughs> that is an, that what an amazing fact that is. <laughs> Okay, I want to go back to the Spanish one more time, Marcia. Oh, oh, yay. Okay, we know that they colonized South and Central America, what is now the southwestern United States, you know, California, Arizona, Texas, and the southeast United States, Florida. But how far north did the Spanish go? And it was farther north than North Dakota. Was it Canada? No. Uh, I don't know. Believe it or not. Alaska. Oh, they went to Canada. They went to Alaska. So almost from the tip of South America to Alaska, the Spanish were all over the Americas. Amazing. You never think of Spanish explorers going that far north, but they did. They claimed territory as far west as Unalaska. Now, Unalaska is a small city at the very tip of the Aleutian Islands. Were there people there when they got up there? Well, that's the funny thing. The Aleuts, uh, the Indians, had been there for thousands of years. The Russians had been there for 30 years. (laughs) Even so, the Spanish claimed Unalaska for Spain in 1788. (laughs) What? What gall? (laughs) And that... That city became uh, the largest fishing port in the United States by volume in the 19th century because of Alaskan king crab. And it was also the first city in the continental United States attacked by Japanese aircraft during World War II. So that little town of Unalaska, Alaska, which is the farthest west tip of the Aleutian Islands up there. You know, the Aleutian Islands, that kind of go out to the sea, to the yeah, west of Alaska. That's yeah. the farthest west, and that's the farthest west that the Spanish went to. So, wow. interesting facts. Huh. Okay. okay. All right. This is right up your alley. When and how did the Frisbee get its name? Oh, I know the answer to this. Of course you this was. This <laughs> is in um, Massachusetts, and I believe it was a Frisbee... Frisbee was the name of the restaurant, I believe it was. or the Frisbees were actually pie plates. That's correct. That were spun by college students. That's correct. And I think that Frisbee got its name from the company that made the pie plates or something that's like that. That's very good. Okay. Well, that's uh, it, but it was Connecticut. Oh, okay. And it was the Frisbee Pie Company. And during the 20s, students at Yale, those little dickens over there, uh, all flung these tin plates through the air. And uh, a president of future generations. I mean, they just, that's for entertainment. They went out through pie plates around. That was in the 20s. And then Whammo uh, caught wind of it and bought the patent from uh, uh, Walter Morrison, who modeled his first plastic disc in 1948. That's 72 years ago, after the original pie plate. Hmm. Anyway, in the late 50s, uh, Good old Whammo started producing the Pluto platter, which they soon renamed Frisbee, thank God. Oh, really? Oh, they called it the Pluto platter at first. <laughs> that? Where, where did the Pluto come Let's from? Let's just go back to the pie plate name, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much better default name than, hey, let's go out and play Pluto platter. <laughs> okay, now I've got one that's contemporary or relates to something that's going on. Of course, healthcare workers are the heroes these days because... They are fighting the coronavirus on the front lines, going into work every day and dealing with patients in in all of our hospitals. And many of them are nurses, but the nursing profession for years, for centuries, was all male. You go into anything that resembled a hospital and everybody there was a man. When did that change in the United States? Uh, Was it during a war? Yes, it was. What war was that? 
Okay, I would say World War One. No. Oh, two. It was the Civil War. They pulled all the men out of the hospitals and made them go to war, and the women had to come in. At first, it was just, you know, caring for people, writing letters and all that, but it soon evolved into medical work, and Clara Barton, of course, was one of those, yeah. and so was Louise May Alcott. They both wanted to be soldiers. They both wanted to fight, but they both found they couldn't, so they both ended up in hospitals, and this is something I didn't know. Clara Barton, you know, she was the most prominent woman to emerge from the Civil War and uh, did a lot of heroic work. Uh, at the battles of Fredericksburg and Antietam. They said they would call her a disruptor today. A recent book about her came out. And apparently, she insisted on operating autonomously. She refused to work with the government, refused to work with the U.S. Sanitary Commission, which provided nurses to the Union Army. She preferred being in charge herself, so she raised money for food and bandages that she brought to the front lines, hired the horses and wagons to take her there. She bypassed bureaucrats by going through back channels with a Massachusetts uh, senator. He was able to get her supplies clandestinely from government warehouses, and she became the big pioneer. Wow, that's very impressive. Yeah, so the, she had a lot of chutzpah. She had a lot of chutzpah. So there you go. That, weren't, uh, that weren't, was in uh, 1863 to 1865. And weren't all back in the day, too, all secretarial jobs were held by men? Yes. And yes. when did that change? I think that was with the typewriter. A lot yeah. of that came with the typewriter yeah. because a lot of men wouldn't wouldn't use that typewriter. Yeah, that was too complicated, probably. <laughs> hey, wait a minute now. <laughs> oh, what is that? <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, that's when women got into that field. So yeah, isn't that interesting? You think about that. Women got into the field of business through a technology they adopted that men wouldn't. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> it's the same old story. Over and over Man, again. just too stubborn to try something new. What am I doing? I'm talking against my kind. <laughs> I can forget that. <laughs> you know the word billion is thrown around a lot these days, Bob. Uh, it's a billion dollars for here and a billion dollars for this. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of, lot of bucks. Yeah. In fact, uh, if you were to count out loud... One to a billion, how long do you think it would take you? Oh, you mean every number from one to a billion? Yeah. You know, I saw something on that. It would take actually years. It I, would. I don't know. I'll, tell you, I'll say a year. Yeah, that's a good guess. Almost 80 years. 80 years just to say it's, out loud these numbers yeah. from one to a billion. It's actually 79.25. I kind of exaggerated there. But it's closer to 79. But yeah, that's how many years. to If you just said and said out loud one to a billion... That tells you that we're spending way too much money. (laughs) So think of those dollars. You'd have to sit here for almost 80 years and put dollars out there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, speaking of of money, I've got an interesting fact. I got several things on on Hollywood, okay? Movies. A lot of of people are binge-watching films and TV shows these Uh days, so there's a lot of movie stars we're seeing. Tiger King, I'm watching. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Marsh is watching the Tiger King. (laughs) I refuse to watch it. It's that. probably it good. doesn't sound it's, like people I'm interested in. No, 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 nobody is. Okay. Who signed Hollywood's first million-dollar contract? Hollywood's? Hollywood. Uh, and it, when? Ch- Ch- Charlie Chaplin? That's right. Ah, I get good. And he was a young guy. He was 28. He signed for a million dollars way back in 1917. So for 103 years, Hollywood has been paying million-dollar contracts. Wow. And that's when a million dollars was a lot more money than it is today. He lived pretty high on the hog back then. What year was that? That was 1917, and his contract called for eight films for the first national exhibitor circuit. 
And if a movie performer could get a million dollars, think what the movie company owners must have been making from nickel admission prices. Jeez. They must have been making a lot more than a million. Okay, now I have two more film questions. Okay. Since you seem to dominate topics, I'll dominate one for a little bit here. <laughs> I got another elephant question. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Elephants and movie stars. Okay. These are two older stars. These are two famous stars, but recently new uh, biographies have come out about them. Dancer Fred Astaire. Yeah. He appeared in his first film in 1933. What role did he play? I don't know. Hi, kids. I always picture him being, you know, the the dancer. I don't know. You're not answering the question. I know. I'm trying to think what he could have been if he suddenly started singing and dancing. Okay, I'll say he was a chef. Okay, that's a good guess, (laughs) but it's wrong. (laughs) What role did Fred Astaire play? Fred Astaire. Oh, he was already a famous person when okay. he appeared. Oh, that's funny. It was the movie was Dancing Lady, and the star Joan Crawford greets him as Mr. Astaire. Oh, okay. And he twirled the glamorous movie queen around the floor. Dancing Lady. Dancing. Now, what was Fred's real name? His real. Yeah, like that's in my file of Frederick memories. Austerlitz. What? Frederick Austerlitz. <laughs> And his sister, Adele, dragged him into dancing classes and show business, and they were a huge act. And then she got married and retired, and he went on by himself, and that's how he got his career. Yeah, he pranced through life. He was quite a dancer. All right, one more movie question here. Uh, Okay. Judy Garland died at the rather young age of 47. Yeah. How many years did she work? Oh, gosh, since she was little Miss Gum, I don't know, uh, 40 years. You're right. She was one of the Gum sisters. That was it. They were a, a, a family act. She died at the age of 47. She worked 45 years. Okay, I was isn't that amazing? Five years since she was two. Yeah. What do you do at two on the well, stage? Well, a little dancing girl. You know, she danced yes. and sang. She went into show business at the age of two. She never left. She did hundreds of vaudeville and radio shows before she was a teen, and before she ever starred in a motion picture. She started 32 feature films, and um, unlike the image we see now in many films, her biographer John Fricky said she was always working and usually always laughing. She loved working. That's nice. It was her private life that was awful. Okay, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Well, we're back from our break. You're listening to Bob and Marcia Smith on The Off-Ramp. And this is the end of week six of our self-isolation for the coronavirus. And Marcia, you know, there was a funny article uh, recently in the uh, Wall Street Journal written by Jason Gay. And he took the point of view of animals who have these human beings in the house all these weeks. Like a goldfish? Like a cat and a dog. Oh, that's so. So here are these articles. I thought we might find these kind of funny, okay? Okay. And these are short, so they're just kind of fun. The first one is called, America Needs to Get Back to Work by a Cat. (laughs) And the cat says... Enough is enough! American business has taken a historic plunge over the past month. It's time to consider a practical plan for protecting public health while also allowing for a return to work and hopefully a revival of the economy. Oh, who am I kidding? On behalf of cats everywhere, I'll just say it. We want everyone out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Meow. Meow. It was cute for a while, but the party's over. We're sick of this quarantine shelter-in-place directive. Shelter-in-place? That's a cat's job. Cats invented shelter-in-place. 
Have we liked getting snacks at unexpected hours? Sure. Is it nice to roll around on that warm laptop keyboard during Zoom calls? Sure is. (laughs) Warm keyboards are heaven. (laughs) But it's gotten to be too much. The other day, I walked into the kitchen and saw someone standing in my 9 a.m. sunspot. Oh, God. So rude. It is. That sunspot (laughs) is only there 15 minutes a day. (laughs) Our Bowser did that, didn't he? Always looking for that ray of sun. So the cat's essay concludes... Cats are not the most social creatures. Sure, there are some exceptions. You might have one of those cats who actually enjoys human company. (laughs) Congratulations! But the vast majority of us, bird outside the window must get the bird! Oh, sorry, where was I? (laughs) That's the distracted cat. That's cute. He says the vast majority of cats are ready for you to get back to work or just leave the house for longer than 15 minutes. (laughs) Please consider it not for America, but for cats. That's cute. So So that's uh, America needs to get back to work by a cat. Well, now let's do Why Not Work From Home Forever (laughs) by a dog. Saw that coming. So here's the dog's essay by Jason Gay in the Wall Street Journal. As America debates a return to work, it's important not to rush. We need to balance the economy against the extremely valid concerns about public health and protecting lives. And walks. We need to think about all the walks. And ball. We need to also chase the ball. Lots and lots. Look, I'm a dog. I'm not some public intellectual. I'm a good, good dog most of the time. But I just ate half of a baseball glove in the garage. I also knocked over a potted plant in the living room. I'm sorry. I'm a dog. What do you want? The important thing is dogs want you to stay. These past four weeks, they have been some of the greatest weeks of our lives. You're there in the morning. You're there in the evening. You're there at lunch. It's the best. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) And the walks, we've never been so fit in our lives. There's the 8.30 a.m. walk, the 11.15 a.m. walk, the 1 p.m. walk, the 3 p.m. walk, the 7 p.m. walk. And if we're lucky, a 9.30 p.m. Wow, walk. Wow, that's a, that's a And sometimes you throw walks. the ball. Sometimes you throw the ball. And then I get the ball and bring it back to you. And then you throw the ball again. And I bring it back again and again and again and again. Bliss. It's bliss. I'm sure the cats are telling you they've had it. Never trust a cat. They're rude animals. They don't appreciate you. But dogs understand what you bring to the table. We love having you at home. Stay. Stay forever. (laughs) We promise to be a good dog, or at least a pretty good dog. That's Why Not Work From Home Forever by a dog, actually written by Jason Gay in the Saturday-Sunday Wall Street Journal on April 18th. Can't help but think of our Buster the dog. Yeah, we had a great little beagle for beagle who 20 was just years. like that, and Bowser the cat who was just like that. They could have written those. They could have written if those. they weren't buried under a rock in the backyard. They oh, that was definitely that. Uh, that was definitely a Bowser our cat. Bowser, <laughs> uh, Marcia had a cat. She'd had it for twelve years when I met her, and um, he, he wasn't happy when we got together, was he? He lived till he was twenty-one. But in the meantime, he peed in my shoes. Yes. He peed on my parents' picture. Well, that took you over the edge. That was the end of him. It was at one Almost. point you said me or the cat. Mm-hmm. And one day I found you holding that cat over your head, crying, Begging. saying, Begging. Please, Begging him. please, please stop it. Stop it. Oh, you're going to die. We couldn't give him away to anybody. He was noisy and he peed. So. <laughs>
What happened after I begged him to stop? He did. He stopped. He stopped. That's the miracle of Bowser, yeah. Bernstein Druenstein. Talk, talking to him like he's a real thinking creature. Yep. Which yep. I guess he was, wasn't he? He, was. he ran the show. He did. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine what's going to happen when this is over and people go back to work? The animals are going to be like, what was that all about? <laughs> what the heck just happened here? Yeah. Where's my master? <laughs> or thank God he's gone. Indeed. Thanks for sharing, Bob. <laughs> now let's go to the elephant in the room. Your oh. question. <laughs> How much can an elephant consume food and drink-wise in a single day? Oh, this is a good reason why you don't want an elephant as a pet. <laughs> Remember the white elephant from last week? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Because nobody could afford to feed them. That's right. That was a and great question. And here's why. Here's the answer Okay. in detail. Uh, just take a guess. How many pounds of hay and how many pounds of water every day? I would imagine it's probably 200. It's 500 pounds of hay and 500 pounds of water all in one day. A thousand pounds of food, <laughs> food in and a water. day. A thousand pounds of food and water. Well, that will uh, that is pretty expensive. That uh, that would... will uh, make you go underwater with your finances. <laughs> okay, the average American has a vocabulary consisting of about how many words? Hmm. Okay. This the is average bad. American. Yeah. Not certain people in the limelight right now, but okay. the average. Am- <laughs> All right. Let's say. <laughs> Let's say 1,200, well, let's say 5,000 words. That's a lot of words. It is. But uh, according to this, it says 10,700 words. Holy cow. Uh, Journalists have nearly 19,000 words in their vocabularies. And lawyers and members of the clergy have slightly less than 18,000. So actually, journalists have the most. And lawyers and clergy have less. Yeah, but they're still in the top 10. So people who make a living through words tend yeah. to have, that makes Which sense. Which certainly does. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense that yeah. they would tend to have. Then if that's, and I'm a former reporter, why do I always lose that boggle to my children? Because <laughs> you can't remember all those words. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that fun? Now, that's one thing we've talked about before, but we've been doing that online since this whole thing began. Twice a week, we have a boggle fest with uh, we we open up zoom and we got all four of us on screen there and then each one of us goes to a website and we open up boggle and put that next to us and we play 10 11 12 rounds of boggle we have a great time with that but i've noticed the cognitive abilities you and i used to have where we used to smear our kids with boggle they're doing it to us now (laughs) yeah that's for sure and they love every minute of it you you don't see the patterns of the words that you saw when you were when your brain was more they both write a lot and they're both writers too yeah Yeah, they're both very good writers so that makes a difference yeah it makes me feel better i'm i'm delighted that they're they're whipping us i didn't let them beat me in Candyland when they were kids and (laughs) They're getting back at me now. <laughs> you were just so mean to them with well, Candyland. I'm competitive. Bob. Okay. <laughs> I'm competitive. And that's the yeah. end of our competition today. You when don't we want ask to baby your kids. Uh, okay. So what if they're five? And you're still talking about that 30 years later. Okay. <laughs> I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Thanks for joining us on this uh, coronavirus trivia show. And join us again next time when we come together with a lot of Q&A and hopefully a lot of laughs here on The Off-Ramp. We'll be here. We always are. Our day and night, <laughs> night and day. Every waking hour. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.